Earlier this year, three hospital systems announced the Take the Volume Pledge campaign. Dartmouth-Hitchcock, Johns Hopkins, and the University of Michigan invited others to join them in preventing certain surgical procedures from being performed by surgeons or performed at hospitals that do relatively few of them. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with David Erbach, a professor of surgery and of health policy management and evaluation at the University of Toronto. Dr. Erbach has written a perspective article about the rationale behind the Volume Pledge and the issues that it doesn't address. Dr. Erbach, you write in your article that the volume outcome effect in surgery is remarkably consistent, a finding dating back several decades. So have other health systems tried to reduce adverse events in a way similar to what the Volume Pledge institutions are trying to do? There's been a lot of interest in doing something about this finding that the high-volume hospitals seem to have better outcomes for elective surgery than lower-volume hospitals. In the past, a lot of this activity hasn't necessarily been carried out by hospital systems, but has been under the jurisdiction of other types of groups. And one example is the LeapFrog group, which was very active over 10 years ago in trying to create their own structure for volume-based regionalization of surgery. And they did it primarily through insurers. So this is a large consortium of health-related organizations as well as large businesses through the Business Roundtable that looked at a policy whereby insurers would cover procedures if they were done in high-volume hospitals for certain types of procedures. And these are things like cardiac surgery or certain types of cancer surgery. And there have been similar types of efforts like those initiated by the LeapFrog group, but this is the first time that large hospital systems have decided on their own to rationalize how surgical procedures are performed in different hospitals with the objective of making sure that other hospitals follow suit. So what the Volume Pledge campaign does for the moment is set annual volume thresholds for 10 different surgical procedures. How were those procedures selected, and then how were the thresholds set? In this particular case, this initiative resulted mostly from work done in the U.S. News and World Report with hospital rankings. I won't say arbitrarily, because there is a fair amount of research looking at these types of surgical procedures, but these thresholds were selected based on considerations such as the numbers of procedures that are done in hospitals. So as you'll see, some procedures are done much more frequently than others. For example, a pancreas surgery isn't a very common procedure, whereas knee replacement is a fairly common procedure. So the threshold for knee replacement is somewhat higher. The other consideration was trying to set thresholds that would achieve the greatest potential benefit in terms of reducing complications or postoperative mortality. So people in the past have looked at how many lives could be saved if a certain percentage of procedures were transferred from average hospitals to high-volume hospitals. There is some research looking at more scientific approaches or trying to determine optimal thresholds for volumes in hospitals. So taking the example of knee replacement, you could say, well, 25 is a minimum or 50 is a minimum or 100 could be a minimum. And considerations that go into selecting those types of thresholds might be At what point do you start to see changes in outcome, or at what point do those changes in outcome start to level off? And there's been some work in that area, but these thresholds weren't really defined based on those types of optimal criteria. So whether in regard to the thresholds or other elements of the pledge, the reaction of surgeons has been predictably hostile. 
So what are their chief concerns? And do you see those evolving over time, or do you think this is going to be an ongoing problem? There's always been some debate within the larger community of surgeons and surgical leaders about what to do with this whole phenomenon, that there is variation in the outcomes of surgical care, and in particular in this case, variations in the outcomes of care that are associated with hospital volumes and surgeon volumes. There's always been a very strong and, I would say, heartfelt argument from surgeons that they do provide excellent care, even if they're in smaller hospitals or they would be considered lower-volume surgeons, and perhaps some of the outcomes of some patients that have surgery in smaller hospitals have a lot to do with patient factors, that they're less optimally selected patients. They have a lot of adverse factors that may increase their risk of having adverse events. So there's always been a strong opinion from surgeons that a lot of this variation is due really to patient factors and not necessarily due to quality of care. There's also concern among surgeons that they need to be able to continue to provide care in environments that really won't support a high-volume hospital or a high-volume surgeon, that some patients will continue to need some types of emergency operations or other types of health interventions, and there really isn't going to be a large hospital or a high-volume provider able to provide that care. So there is also the argument that someone needs to be able to provide these services, and it won't always be a high-volume provider. Getting back to the volume outcome effect, You say in your article that the mechanism underlying it is going to be important in developing policies to improve surgical care. So what do we know about that underlying mechanism? Well, we know surprisingly little because it's very difficult to study how it is that volume affects outcome. And perhaps the biggest reason for that is most of the research is really descriptive research that comes from these observational studies that show correlations with high-volume hospitals and better outcomes. But obviously, it's difficult to perform a clinical trial and randomize a hospital to either increase its volume or randomize hospitals to have higher low volume. Those designs are impractical. So there's also relatively little research that shows what happens when an individual hospital either increases or decreases its volume for one reason or the other. And That's one of the ways you might test the causal relationship. So if the theory is that, well, just by increasing volume, it's going to improve your outcomes, then those are the types of studies that you would need to do. And there haven't been that many of them. And of the ones that have been done, the results are somewhat conflicting. So in some cases, when hospital volumes increase or decrease, the outcomes of surgery change in a way that you would expect. But in other studies, that hasn't been the case. So there's not a lot of evidence that there is this cause-effective relationship and that by, say, doubling your hospital volume, you will see some sort of improvement in outcome. The other competing hypothesis for the volume outcome effect that's been cited is this selective referral hypothesis that there are certain hospitals that have better structures and processes of care and provide better quality of care, and that becomes known to the wider population in a way that people are able to identify those hospitals and preferentially use those hospital services. So finally, given all those factors, how heavily should individual physicians weigh procedure volume when they're deciding where they should refer their patients for surgery? That's really the crux of this issue. And the advice that I would give is Right now, volume does appear to be an important factor and that if a patient needs a complex procedure, say like a cardiovascular procedure or major cancer surgery, 
that all other things being equal, the outcomes of that surgical procedure are likely to be better in a hospital that does large volumes or when done by a surgeon that does large volumes of the procedure. So right now, I think it's quite reasonable for referring physicians to place a lot of emphasis on hospital and surgeon volume. I think if you take the broader perspective that includes how do you improve care in general, then you can apply that principle of referral to a high-volume hospital for elective surgery or other types of planned clinical services because you have an opportunity to ensure that your patient goes to the right place. But it doesn't solve the problem of broader variation in the outcomes of hospital care. And by that, I mean for the same reason that someone's outcome might be better if they have a surgery in one hospital or another based on whether it's a large hospital or not. The same thing holds true for a variety of other health conditions, and some of these are not necessarily planned like elective surgery. So people may develop a myocardial infarction or pneumonia or require obstetric services or intensive care, and the outcomes of those services as well vary according to the volume of services and hospital size. So just referring patients to high-volume hospitals may work for complex elective surgery, but it's not a solution for the problem of variation in quality of care for a variety of other health services where the referring physicians don't really have that opportunity to ensure that a patient gets directed to a high-volume hospital. So I think a broader perspective is needed when you think about improving the quality of care that's provided everywhere, even though it is quite true that at the moment it would be a very important consideration for referring physicians as well as patients themselves when there's any uncertainty about where the best place is to have a surgical procedure that right now volume appears to be as good an indicator of quality as anything else. Thank you, Dr. Erbach.